Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Episode 8. My guest today is the founder of the Para-Jiu-Jitsu Federation and BJJ Purple Belt, Maximiliano Uloa. It's time to high-five and fizz bump. A jiu-jitsu podcast for the everyday grappler. Let's talk subs. Let's talk positions. Let's talk dominating the mat. Welcome to the Let's Talk Jiu-Jitsu podcast with Raymond Terrence. So my guest today is the founder of the Para Jiu-Jitsu Federation. He teaches Jiu-Jitsu and self-defense to people with limitations and is also an avid competitor. He is a BJJ purple belt and also started a Para Jiu-Jitsu magazine. Max, let's talk Jiu-Jitsu. How's it going, everyone? Good. Thanks for being on, Max. I really appreciate taking the time with me. I know you're a busy guy. So thanks for being on the podcast. So uh, maybe just to start, maybe tell everybody uh, how long you've been doing Jiu-Jitsu for and uh, how you got into it. Well, I started back in 2009. I was uh, going through a divorce or the start of a divorce, but it wasn't like a gnarly divorce. But I knew that I was going to head towards like the negative side. Um, so rather than that, than to go that route, I basically I just got my year end bonus at the same time. I went and I threw three grand down on the counter in private lessons because I knew if I did that, I would have to go. <laughs> um, so that's basically, I knew it, that it was something I wanted to always wanted to do, but I never pulled the trigger on. And now that I was having the free time, I just decided, man, I'll just make that, that choice. I went from like a corporate uh, office mindset and money, money, money to starting jujitsu, getting a separation, the divorce, and then um, changing my whole aspect on life and realizing that there are a lot of the things that are free are worth more in life. Great. So that's, that's awesome. And what school did you start off in? I started off, it was called Throwdown back in the day. It's now Victory MMA down San Diego. Um and then I, from there, it was kind of strange dynamic back then because we had the academy. We went and trained at, at Victory or at Throwdown, but also the women had a team with Leticia Ibero, but the guys weren't allowed yet. It was only a woman's team downtown at in FIT. Um, and then uh, one day they opened the doors to the guys and then we were allowed to go over there. But it was kind of strange because we uh, were kind of members of both academies at the same time. Um, so it ended up going full time over to Leticia's academy right before I I fell into my wheelchair. So and that's Gracio Maita, San Diego uh, or uh, South Bay, San Diego. Okay. Okay. Cool. So maybe tell everybody a little bit about your story. Uh, uh, I, I think you have an interest interesting story to tell, and you know, uh, let people know what you have going on. So maybe uh, explain a little bit how you got uh, in the wheelchair and the situation that uh, that you're in right now. Okay. Basically, uh, in 2012, I was sitting on a balcony, hanging out. Uh, it was early in the morning. It was uh, May 6, 2012, and I lost my 
my balance. I fell over the balcony. I landed on my butt in a sitting position. So uh, <clears throat> that impact went up my spine to the weakest point and then just blew out my uh, T5 vertebrae, basically. Um, it instantly made me uh, paralyzed. I was lying there a few minutes before I realized, oh, I can't. I have zero pain. Like, nothing happened, but I can't move. So after realizing my, my, you know, my body was paralyzed, then I called the ambulance, or they, I, I told them to call the ambulance. Um, but from since then, it was just a, it's always been an uphill struggle, but it was definitely, I was deep in the woods, and I think up until last year, I finally got out of those woods, and now I'm just at the foothill of the mountain. Uh, but prior to my accident, I had a blue belt in jujitsu. So I was already in jujitsu about three years before I hit the ground. <clears throat> and that mindset, that concept of uh, troubleshooting and everything's just a, an arm bar or a, a triangle choke, it carries on into your life when you're faced with something like this. So I was just able to accept it move on and just make the best of it and over the past six years almost seven i've been writing the my ideas for what a para jiu-jitsu federation should be um and so on and and then the last year in 2017 i finally got the opportunity where my body caught up to my mind because my brain had all the thoughts all the ideas all my corporate you know, lifestyle before I basically took the money, money, money aspect and idea, but I turned it into doing good instead of just trying to, to make it because I, I never saw money as, as material objects for me were never something. It was more of, I was, I was always an outdoor person, always an explorer and stuff. So I didn't have TVs, special cars, that stuff didn't interest me. I was always more of like, quality of my life basically and when i moved to california it really triggered that so now that i'm living today off of very low income off of a disability check i'm still able to use my brain and the stuff i learned in that corporate side of my life the first part of my lifestyle to create a platform and create a federation that not only just offers opportunities for people out there with limitations but it also gives back where because i'm not uh, i'm a volunteer even as the president or ceo i'm still a volunteer because my goal is to build it and then if and when then i can pay myself later but it, and that's even if it comes because the realization of of it is is when you have a corporation or you have a business or something you already benefit from it you get to go on business trips you get to go on eat dinners you get to do whatever that the business pays for so i don't think it's fair to get all that plus a paycheck so for me until it all evens out and everyone else that helps me first gets paid i don't feel like i should get paid
Well, hats off to you, definitely. I have a, a billion and one questions for you just over the last minute that I've been thinking. <laughs> so maybe just to start, so that that's that's pretty impressive, the fact that you were doing jiu-jitsu before as a blue belt, and then you continued with it afterwards. I mean, you, you get to a certain point, you see uh, a lot of blue belts quit, you know, after a couple years of training, and that's people that are, you know, a hundred percent uh capable you know they, they 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 have their full full body motion but you know something in their head is just not right and it goes to show you that you know jitsu isn't necessarily about what you're physically capable capable of doing that a large portion of it is in your head because you see so many people quitting so earlier on when they start this jiu-jitsu journey uh so it's pretty impressive that you're able to stick with it so maybe tell us a little bit how you adapted to jiu-jitsu after the accident uh i'm assuming you went through you know some physio some rehab uh and then how did you kind of say okay well you know i'm going to continue jiu-jitsu uh how did you approach your instructors to kind of tell them you know how, how, how are we, we going to go about doing this? Yeah, you know, as, even when I hit the ground like that, I, I remember it being just a couple days after. I haven't even had surgery yet. They're waiting for swelling to go down. And I remember sitting in that dark room thinking like, okay, how am I going to adapt jujitsu? <laughs> uh, like, it, like it, uh, yeah, sure. My life just got flipped, turned upside down. And, that sounds like the beginning of a TV show. <laughs> uh, but my life got flipped flipped around, and you know I don't know what was ahead of me, but the the idea of not training has di- didn't even concern. It wasn't even a concern. It didn't even enter my brain. Um, I remember thinking that my legs were going to be more like rubber. Um, like I, for some reason i thought when i hit the ground and i don't i became paralyzed my legs became like rubber and the bones don't exist anymore like i remember thinking like i'm gonna be able to fling my leg over their neck and put them in a triangle (laughs) it's like ridiculous thoughts like it could have been the morphine too (laughs) yeah drugs will do that to you (laughs) but i remember like having those thoughts in the hospital like thinking like already on the mats like brainstorming of what i'm going to do so I think it also has to do with the fact that when you get to a certain point in the jiu-jitsu journey, you already committed yourself to it. At some point in that journey, you're going to commit yourself that this is going to be my my life, my lifestyle. Like, I, I am definitely going to reach that black belt, you know, it, and some, it hits some people sooner than others. When I first put the gi on, I knew when I first saw... Um, you know, I got the opportunity to, to be friends with a lot of world champions, a lot of people who who did the tournament scene and competition scene. So I got to see from from firsthand um, down in San Diego the opportunities that jiu-jitsu brought. So I had no doubt ever that I, I wouldn't be traveling. I wouldn't like that. I was going to be a black belt instructor, traveler, hopefully world champion that as like three months six months in i was already committed to but i never would have thought that i would have been traveling and doing it all from a wheelchair so it shows to you like your dreams are can be set but you never know the outcome so it's very uh for me it was just never a an option to quit jujitsu Wow, that's crazy. So, so what what was your first step when you ended up going on the mats for the first time? Did you have to 
I guess you had to reevaluate your jisu to be able to tell yourself, okay, I'm going to be really good at this. I'm going to be able to do this. And these are the things that are not in the books for me right now. Well, unfortunately, I didn't have any steps on that. <laughs> no, but um, uh, basically, it came down to this. I, you know, having a blue belt mind, three, like three years into jiu-jitsu, you're already kind of hooked. You already had a game. My game was on, ironically, spider guard, which is strange because uh-huh. I, I can't do half of this stuff now. Uh, but the grips, the concepts, and the ideas are all there. That's all the same thing. But... When you go into jujitsu for the first time from such a dramatic difference in the in mobility, your brain still thinks like my mind kept thinking like, okay, oh, he's passing your guard, put your knee in there, but my body wouldn't react, and 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 then I would be like, it would be like shocking at first because you're like, whoa, wow, he got past my guard, but your y- your body has to kind of like catch up to your brain, or your brain has to catch up to your body in that in that sense. Um, so what happens is you end up basically tapping and tapping and tapping and tapping. Um, I wrote, uh, in those first couple of years, I basically, I traveled and interviewed as many instructors as I can. I went on a, a road trip for a couple of years. Um, and early on, I got really good advice from, uh, Jeff Glover and he told me the best way to, to adapt your situation is to constantly put yourself in the worst position. So put yourself in an arm bar and then sink it deeper and deeper and deeper and then start finding ways out. Um, if you are too deep into an arm bar and you can't get out because of your skill level or where you are, then what you have to focus is, is okay, that's too deep. Come back some. So until you find the part where you can start defending safely, then perfect that. And then go a little bit deeper, perfect that deeper, deeper, deeper. And then the result of that was I was able to, in the past six years, countless times of tapping and putting myself in positions, um, every position that we normally would escape from, that we spend our every, you know, every piece of energy escaping to get a better to a better position is now my better position. So when you have my back, I feel comfortable. When you're in my side control, I feel comfortable. When you're on mount, I, I feel I feel home because I've been stuck there so long that your body kind of just adapts to it. So it's not a sense of you adapting moves to the situation you're in. It's more of con- constant repetition of the same situation and then there's not much more that could be thrown at you from there. You know what I mean? It's those tricky stuff that catches uh, me nowadays because I haven't seen it before or, you know, Fina lapel and such things like that. Right. Do you, do you have any motion of your hips? No, I'm, I'm actually paralyzed from my sternum. So I don't have a core. I don't have a abdomen, lower back or, or legs. Okay. Okay, so anything that involves hip movement and being able to rotate under somebody, that's that's a no-go for you then. Exactly. And that's why I'm stuck in all these positions because I have no way to escape. So when you get, you know, when you get my back, I want to get my shoulders turned into you and kind of shrimp out, get out of the choke. I can't do that. When you're on the mount, I can't bring my leg up to lock your leg to try to sweep you over. When you're in side control, I I, I'm just engaged because I can't shrimp away from you. So 
that's what I was talking about. That's what I mean about being stuck in these spots. And then as a practitioner prior to the, the wheelchair, it's all new to me as well. Like seeing it, I still walk on the mats. I still think of techniques. I still think of ideas with legs and for people to use with their legs. Cause that's was my bread. Like that's where I started. So when I come across something, I'm like, Oh wow, that's kind of cool. Like I'm looking at it still as an outsider looking at a spinal cord injury. Guy. So it's kind of weird. It's like two worlds. I live on the mat. Wow. So, so what, what, what uh, gym are you training out of now? Right now, I'm in Miami, Florida, at the Helion Gracie Academy headquarters. Okay, great. And so, how are you finding uh, things there? Are you adapting well to, you know, the school, uh, your training partners, the instructors? Oh yeah, I've been here longer than I was training uh, walking. So it's it's the majority of my jujitsu. I know the most. Um, you know, when like you solidify a family, I, I think I. I, I, we got really tight in San Diego, but I've been here longer, so I got to know everyone more and everything, and really cool. Everyone's very helpful, and um, you ask for a lot of high belts here that you ask for help, and they're always quick to just say, hey, this is what I think. What do you think about this? Well, that's really interesting. Maybe tell me a little bit about your 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 current instructors. I mean, how is your your relationship with them? You know, your your type of training that you're doing because you do compete. Um, well, what what kind of training do you go through when you're getting ready for a competition? Uh, preparing for competition, you you it depends on how far out you are. Um, I'd say if you're six months out, then you can incorporate one, maybe two more things into your your already existing game uh as far as complex techniques uh but if you're a couple months or three months there's nothing more that you're going to learn for that's going to be able to stick to you in the time of like fast-paced competition so those are more the comp uh it's more about stamina and that in those um cases if you have the six months or more i think you can create a strategy the uh, instructors I have now are, are Master Hillion Gracie and uh, his son Hogan Gracie. I uh, really bounce off a lot all, off of them. Um, um, plus, uh, like I said, we have countless uh, of higher belts uh, on the mats. That which, There's times where we just have like eight black belts on the mats. So those days you just start picking brains as, you know, like as much as you can. I also train um, with... Uh, Carlos and um, uh, Wilson in Miami Lakes, uh, Hillion Gracie, Miami Lakes. Um, Wilson helps me a lot with um, the strategy with uh, competition and stuff because he's a he's still a, he's a high end black belt and he's a um, he's competing regular. So he helps me a lot with trying to create a strategy for para jujitsu because it's such a strange dynamic. Uh, you may think you're going in to fight a paraplegic in a wheelchair and then you end up fighting an amputee or you may be going in expecting to fight an amputee. So all competitions could be strange as far as, because you can't simulate a fully able body can't simulate. I can't tell you don't use your abs like you're going to use them. You know what I mean? You can't simulate that. So if I tell you, hey, don't use that leg and when we fighting an amputee, it's 
it, it's hard to simulate that. You know what I mean? So it's almost like you got to understand and believe in what you already understand in jujitsu and then kind of have an assumption of what it might be like with those limitations. Yeah, I think so, every, everyone can relate to that uh, quite a bit for those that do compete. I mean, you're in the same boat as everybody else. You don't know who you're going up against, what their strengths are, what their weaknesses are, uh, just like anybody else who, who wanted to go and, and, and compete and signs up and takes a look at the bracket and you don't recognize a single name. You have no idea what you're going up against. So, you know, you're, you're definitely in the same boat as everybody else when it comes to uh, competition and not knowing what to expect, I guess. Yeah, but you know what the difference is. Um, and be, uh, the difference is is that when you're going to compete in uh, adaptive jujitsu competition, each of us have a sense of um, a superpower, if you will. It's almost like, like for example, since I don't ever leave my show, like I have a whole top game because I had three years of jujitsu prior to my accident, but because I don't leave my shoulders, your reaction to what I'm doing is puzzled. And then I have that reaction time. So my lapel game and strength in my arms, if you will, are a little bit better than certain people. Um, I just fought Rustin, my, my friend and, and USA traveling team, pair jiu-jitsu traveling teammate um, in Sweden. And the whole time I, I lost to him to an arm bar, a really good arm bar. And the whole time, the whole time there, the whole time, I didn't have time to really look at the tapes. And then and it wasn't until I got home when I was looking at the, the our match and I realized that because he's an above-the-knee amputee, the way he places his, his, uh, his butt, so to speak, so close to my body and his leg is out of the way, it was, I couldn't defend his arm bar how I defend everyone else's. Like, I have, I haven't, I haven't tapped to an arm bar in a while because I'm used to that fully able body arm bar. Um, so because of him missing that half, you know, most of his leg, it changed the dynamic. And I, at the time I was like, you know, he got me. I can't, there's no excuses you can make for that. Like that's, that's his special power. Is that you, does you understand what I'm trying to get at now? Yeah, yeah, for sure. No, definitely. So you, you, you basically don't know what to expect. And I actually watched a video of you. Um, when was it? Um, I think it was in November that you had posted on Facebook or someone had posted on Facebook of you actually drilling the armbar escape and you have a, you have a mean armbar escape. <laughs> oh yeah. See, that's my point. Like that, everything I did in that video that you're referring to didn't even enter it was all like below Rustin's armbar level. I couldn't even get to that. Wow. Like I couldn't even start the defense because, you know, when you bring that leg over the head, you can block it and then you, and you're trying not to let them pinch their knees. But because where he puts his leg, it's not not in the same armbar uh, aesthetics. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, definitely. That's really interesting because you can. I guess it's hard to find training partners who will ever be able to match up against your competition. I, I guess that's not possible. Well, the more, the more, the more podcasts like we do, like this, the more we can get pair jujitsu out there, the more people will start training. So, I say within the next five years, you figure if everyone that started jujitsu today 
with a white belt in the next five years, they'll be pushing close to purple. So the comp- level competition, the the number of people in brackets, the people filling these brackets will will be um, greater. So the I think we'll be starting to see a higher higher level of competition in the next five to ten years. Oh, definitely. So I guess when it comes to competition, um, what what are your steps when it comes to signing up for a competition? I get, do you, are there specific organizations that you go through for, uh, to be able to compete, or maybe um, you know specific competitions that you're like, I know that I'll have opponents there. Yeah, um, what I what I tell everyone because I, I started the Para Jiu Jitsu Federation. It's not only just about you know the federation that that we started. It's about promoting and, and helping everybody. That everything that has to do with the adaptive adaptive Jiu Jitsu, where you know, and whatever organization it is. So a lot of people, um, if they're following or trying to look for, I always post whatever's coming up on on my uh, federation's uh, pages um, because there's a lot of people jumping on board now. You have first in the USA, the grapplers heart started uh, very, pretty much the first one I ever heard of the all adaptive grappling. It's not even pair jujitsu brackets in another tournament. It's like just there. It's just adaptive grappling uh, tournament. Um, that's a good one. And then the UAE started with their Grand Slams. And then what's cool about our recent news is the JJIF, which is a Jiu-Jitsu, J-U, Japanese Jiu-Jitsu Federation. Um, they have just uh, agreed to add para Jiu-Jitsu brackets to all of their events across the world. So that oh, was that's the one cool. did in Sweden. So all of this stuff can come up so people can, if you have an, a limitation, if you're looking for an academy, if you're already training and you want to get, uh, be part of a group of, of people with like-minded situations, uh, where we can share techniques and more, just contact me and I'll, I'll give you, I can set you up with the groups that we have. And, um, also the pair jujitsu magazine, whatever links that we can, uh, give to anyone that wants to learn more about the adaptive uh, jiu-jitsu world. That's really cool. Yeah, I think also um, Grappling Industries uh, just started doing something also. Um, I'd have to confirm, but um, I remember seeing something on Facebook about a Grappling Industries uh, event in the U.S. Uh, doing something also. So, yeah, that's something to look out for. Yeah. And the SJJO. So USJJO is the governing body of JJIF. Um, and they're, they're having the, the para jujitsu brackets and all their events. Um, but also the SJJO is a different organization. They have the world para jujitsu around the same time as the LA Grand Slam every year. So there's opportunities all over the world. And, you know, like I said, we'll post them. And if everyone, even if you're not interested in competing, like, let's say you're not ready for competition. What's cool about the JJIF, with the one we just did in Sweden, is they have a um, a system called Duo. So it's like you and another person. You do a choreographed self-defense fight scene. So imagine, think of like those cool fight scenes in movies where they do the flips and stuff. Oh, cool! So something like that, but with jujitsu involved in mind, and you you basically can do a whole scene and you actually win medals. So what's uh, what's beautiful about that is 
people who can't with limitations who can't physically compete because of dangerous uh, situations or let's say they have severe limited mobility if they can create a fight scene with their coach or partner they can go and compete against someone and create and and for gold medals like uh, just like everyone else so it gives more opportunity out there to um to the adaptive uh practitioner that, that's really interesting. Do you find that um, there are a lot of people with limitations that will have issues with other martial arts? you find that jiu-jitsu might cater to them a little better than anything else? Oh, no, without a doubt. Without a doubt, there's um, any martial arts. Can you still hear me? Yeah. Any martial arts, without a doubt, is good because... Any, any source of discipline and physical movement will help anybody with a limitation or anybody in general out. Um, but as far as jiu-jitsu goes, excuse me, I think it's, I think it's more beneficial to, to a person with limitations than any other martial arts in my experience um, because leverage because of the fact that i know what it feels like to apply leverage with a fully full fully able body and i know what it feels like to apply that same leverage in different ways with just a third of my body um so and effectively like i i compete every day i mean i train every day against fully able bodies so it's not like I'm just training adaptive grappling. Like everything that I do is designed towards taking out or hold or controlling a fully able body because that's what I'm going to be faced with on the streets. Like for me, it's about I'm more gearing towards the self defense aspect of uh, jujitsu these days, where because I live the competition jujitsu on my feet and on my butt, so it's kind of like I want to get to the next phase of my life and that's teaching what I know to everyone in a safe way and also creating the safe uh, competition, safe bracketing. Well, great. And in your current academy, when you do roll, uh, how, how do you find your roles are with your training partners? I mean, are they going full tilt on you? Uh... Um, the Obviously, the first the people that you are new or the people you don't roll with that often, you, you end up kind of, you, it's not full tilt, but there are a few training partners that you can trust that, that they know. We, or you can go a hundred percent with them, but it, cause it, it comes down to this basically when you're training with a limitation, because I don't have, Let's say you have me in a pretty, I, like in, in Sweden, I had to verbally tap. Um, yeah, <laughs> I had to verbally tap to, <laughs> to, to, to Rustin. Because if I took the time to tap with my hand, he would have hurt me. You know what I mean? Like it wouldn't, I would have had to let go from what was saving the armbar to tap and it would have been too late. So when you train with someone long enough, you have the confidence in that they are going to not want the submission so bad and crank it. They're going to know that they have it when they have it. And then, so when you, you get the, 
sit there longer to see how long your threshold is before you actually actually have to give up. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, so I think just having partners that you're comfortable with, you get to feel that 100%, 100%. Because when you go in, there's people that, in a, especially if you're a competitor, there's people that are there for the gold. Like, you know, they didn't come there to give a free win to somebody in the wheelchair. You know what I mean? Um, so you have to be prepared for that. You can't, uh, um, you have to train realistically because in the street, sure, I'm not worried about my leg breaking in the street. Whereas in the academy, I got to worry about it. Like, Hey, you know, let me put my legs towards the wall so no one falls on it. So you got to make those adjustments. But on the street, you know, I may get attacked. And I may get out of there with my life, but my leg may be broken, you know, because of the bone density or how we fell or whatever. But that's self-defense, you know what I mean? And do, do, so, you, guys, do you guys do a lot of self-defense at your academy? Uh, they, With me personally, I would say no, no, not directly, but they teach self-defense and before every class. So they, they'll go between... They'll teach a self-defense, a takedown, and then they go to the ground before every class. Um, so watching them, and then I say, oh, wonder if I can modify this. And then I'll ask Hogan, hey, wh what can I modify that? So some a lot of times I don't get the move out of the moves. I just get a grip or I get an idea. And then a month down the line, that grip or that idea will, will blend with another grip or another idea. And then it'll become its own technique that works for my body. That's pretty cool. Do you have any any techniques of, uh, you know, that, that's kind of your specialty, like your go-to moves that you would do on a regular basis? Yeah, there. I would say a lot of the lapel work because the, by tying up a person with the lapel, it allows me a free hand. So I can, I can, um, when I first started jujitsu, I, when I first started the first, like year i had the rubber guard dvd and i was studying it studying studying um, um because one of our instructors was in that dvd the dean lister um so i remember studying it over and over and over so and then i went to gi and then kind of when i went to gi i i was more focused on the kimono because everything was completely new at that point um, but years later, I, it's strange because now I can, I use the lapel in a way to where it basically simulates all the concepts of the rubber guard. So I can, you know, how you use the, your, your leg to hold the back. Um, and then what that does is free up one hand. So I kind of use the lapel in the same aspect where I can control them and have a free arm so I can start attacking chokes or different, uh, control positions so and it's kind of hard to to answer i suppose but there's a lot of like pieces from everywhere because i was on the road for so long no for sure i could definitely relate to that anything that has to do with lapels i'm like all in a hundred percent i'm like mr lapel like my lapel your lapel doesn't matter i i totally love it i was a blue belt actually when we had a black belt come from um 
uh, from a, from another province of Ontario, actually here in Canada. And, uh, he came over and he, uh, he dropped in. I think it was for an open mat and he asked me to roll. So I rolled with him. He got me in mount and he opened up his lapel and he covered my mouth and my nose with his lapel and I tapped and it was the coolest thing. I was like, are, are you sure you're allowed to do that? And this is me asking a black belt if he was allowed to do that. And <laughs> from, from that point on, like as a blue belt, I was on YouTube. I was asking every instructor that I knew, like, what do you know about lapels? Tell me now. Like, I need to know. So I could definitely relate to anything that has to do with lapels, just opening up a lapel to kind of, you know, pin someone down to free up a hand to be able to give you an opportunity to do something else. I mean, that's that's definitely key. I think that I think that it, it definitely uh, opens up uh, a, a world of hurt, <laughs> but uh, <laughs> but I think I think that it goes back to me, like that's half of what I used to do. Half of my game was the spider guard. I mean, my game was spider guard prior to my accident. So the grips and lapel work, I think it, it just related over easier. You know what I mean? It, it was. Because one thing we forgot to, I forgot to explain in, when you asked me a question earlier was the transition into the world of adaptive jujitsu versus the walk-in world was when you want to, like, even the instructors, everybody would say, like, okay, now, now do this, do that. But you really have to start thinking in a completely abstract way because like if I asked you, okay, you can't use half of two thirds of your body. Give me a technique. Like how long will it's going to take for you to come up with something? You know what I mean? Yeah. It would take me forever. Obviously. And, and, uh, and, um, how long you've been training? Uh, I've been training for, it's been about, so continuous, it's been six years, I guess total eight, because I took a little break. I'm actually a black belt in uh, Kyokushin Karate too. So I was okay. I was competing in karate and then I discovered jiu-jitsu and then I had to make a choice. Do I keep competing in karate or do I just stop karate and go to jiu-jitsu? But I was so far and deep into karate that I, I decided I would stick with it. And then I took a little break and then came back to jiu-jitsu afterwards when I realized that my karate karate was worth absolutely nothing on the ground so uh yeah i came back to it after so yeah i would say it's about six years now okay so even with your extensive martial arts experience martial arts background you still would have to sit take a step back and scratch your head on on how to approach that you know what i mean definitely um so a lot of times it's not until the instructor person actually rolled with me. So the, when I met someone new or came into a new academy, um, uh, basically they would say, oh, man. I'd say, hey, can you show me a technique that works for my situation so I could post it for other people? And they were like, man, I don't know. Like, Can you do this? Can you do that? And I would ha- constantly have to be saying, no, I don't have abs. No, I don't can't do that. So granted, my situation is a little different because I had a, a jujitsu knowledge in my head, whereas a lot of people come into the mats for the first time, they don't know anything. So it's strictly up to the instructor. But a lot of times, all I can say to, to those instructors or to anyone new is just roll with them. And what you see today won't be their abilities in one month. So constantly keep assessing them, reassessing them, because 
they will just like in regular jujitsu does to your to us normally it evolves your body so what they can't do today come back to it in in a couple months and six months because that may be the difference of them just being able to take a shower easier you know what i mean yeah no, so it's a, yeah Sorry for, I just wanted to add that because that's very important. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, the, I mean, the worst experience that I've been through when it comes to jiu-jitsu is, this is my personal experience, is I tore my MCL and I had to take some time off of jiu-jitsu. I mean, I still went to class. I still did, you know, as much as I could, but I had to rethink everything that I was doing. And that was just from like an MCL tear. I was like, well, what do I do now? Like, I can't, I can't use that leg, you know, so uh, bottom half, you know, I'm not going to be able to do too much. And I, I love doing margarita guard and collar sleeve. And that was out of the question. So I kind of had to, you know, develop, you know, a different way of doing things right. temporarily just to be able to, you know, keep training. And because the last thing you want to do is, you know, take uh, six months off of jiu-jitsu and don't even step on the mat. But yeah, um, exactly. I mean, for, for you to go from scratch and to say, okay, well, you know, I'm going to still train. I'm going to go on the mats, but I, I have to, I, I guess what was was a little bit different is that you had a taste of jiu-jitsu like you were saying before the accident so you knew what it was and you had a foundation so it was just a new way of adapting it I guess it it is but it was also uh tormenting it was extremely tormenting because you gotta you gotta think about having that that white belt um like when I started jiu-jitsu remember I, I dropped all that money down on private so I was doing uh, one private to two privates a week sometimes wow. and um plus constantly training i was training in the five at the 5 a.m class and the evening class plus private lesson i i was probably uh you know because i didn't want to go home to an empty house so it was constantly out there and so i got my blue belt in eight months but you know i i was doing amazing in tournaments and stuff but if you asked me to show you four different arm bars i couldn't do it but the the physical ability was there um but the knowledge wasn't uh so what i'm getting at is when i transitioned to this new world of jujitsu the the adaptive world my body wasn't there but the knowledge was there so it was a flip it was complete opposite where you whereas from a white belt to blue belt you grow into your body, but then from a three years into jujitsu into a brand new body, my brain w like wasn't wasn't up to date. Um, so you just have to accept that you you can't do what you used to be able to do, and you're just gonna have to completely scratch everything and come back just like you did in the very beginning. Wow! So I got through it once as a white belt. And then I got through it um, the second time as a as a blue belt with a white belt's body. Wow! No, that, that's an interesting interesting way to look at it. Hey, I wanted to ask you when it comes to conditioning. Uh, do you do any upper body conditioning? Um, I'm I'm too new into my injury because it's only been six years. May was six years. I'm too new into my injury to be able to combine like strength conditioning, jujitsu, rolling in my chair and showering and all that in the same like routine. Uh, 
like I, I remember I, I said earlier that I've just now got out of the woods and I'm at the foothills. What I meant by that is it was a struggle just getting my body back to a normal routine where I can transfer without a shaky, without shaky arms. You know, when I went to London this year to to compete, I um, the I was there for two weeks and I didn't do one thing because I physically was not able to get around town. Mm-hmm. Just getting to the bus on the train to to the academy and back was exhausted and I had to sleep the next day. So it opened my eyes to I spent so much time on the mats that I didn't even out and the respects my body needs for my chair stamina. And uh, after London, I focused. I I didn't even train much. I just pushed and pushed and pushed and pushed every day in my chair. And when I went to Colombia a few months later, the the streets in Colombia were worse than London because it's the streets and sidewalks in Colombia. And I got around Colombia with no problem. So it was just, it opened my eyes to where I was, even though I'm staying in shape, I'm physically active because jujitsu does that to you anyways. I ha- I didn't have that chair stamina. So, and I didn't realize that because of what, when do I get have to use it? I just get up, I go train and I come home and I cook and I do normal routine. So strength conditioning and upper body I'd say within the next few years, my body will get to a point where I can start uh, incorporating extra s- stress because there's days where I just, I want to go train, but my body's just like, dude, we got to rest, <laughs> you know, right? and that's normal in the regular body. So imagine, <laughs> and then, and then also the other aspect uh, I want to give to people, because sometimes people get the idea, like I have to build this crazy upper body. I'm in a wheelchair now. Respect your body and respect your shoulders because our shoulders are not designed to be pushing in a wheelchair for a lifespan. So you have to keep that in mind that constantly have to keep moving, keeping your body lubricated because if, if you stop, that's when your injuries, that's when the rust starts building. And But even when you're constantly moving, you have to respect yourself because I've had a shoulder separation on my right shoulder and had shoulder surgery on my left. And now I'm in a wheelchair. So you have to just common sense tells you that I have 30 more years before I have to, I have to start relaxing and taking the easy life. I need to have, when I'm in my eighties, imagine if I abuse my shoulders now, when I'm in my eighties, how much pain that's going to be. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Like you have to just respect your body and, respect the recovery so a lot of times you feel like you're missing something like right now this week i just had a bad week uh with stomach problems that just gives me spasms so it keeps me out of the mats but you always feel like oh i'm missing something in the academy but the mats are always going to be there they're never going to leave so just take it one day at a time and give 100% each day. Yeah, definitely. I I completely agree with that. I think, you know, people get so obsessive with it and that's at all levels and all you want to do is go out and train, 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 train. And a lot of times we forget that, you know, our bodies need to keep up with all that training too. So yeah, you know, you can eat well and, and, you know, get, 
your eight hours of sleep every night. But if you're, you know, constantly sore and things are aching, imagine if you do that for, you know, 10, 15, 20, 30 years. Yeah. Um, there's one of my instructors, Mark St. Marie, who, who says it quite well. He is, uh, I was about to say he's 60, but I, I really hope he's 60 because if not, he's going to beat me at the gym uh, next time I see him. He's somewhere around the 60 mark, but he's the type of guy who was saying that when he was younger, um, you know, he would train every single day twice a day or and he'd be you know he did a few different types of martial arts and his body is is suffering for it now so he says you know now if he can go once or twice to the to the gym and be on the mats and to roll and to be a hundred percent then you know at least he's able to do that you know there's a lot of people that can't even do that you know can't yeah, even make it exactly. out twice a week so you know he appreciates those two times a week that he gets on the mat that he can actually do something but if he were to do it completely differently from day one he says you know i i, I would have probably taken it a little slower so you know i i think there's a lesson to be learned there it's a very good point because ultimately the in the end what are we doing this for we're doing we're doing this because we're trying to perfect our jujitsu we're not trying to perfect jujitsu we're trying to perfect our jujitsu and what that comes down to is in our lifetime, like when you when you hear someone, like when you hear the word um, Master Hillion Gracie, like or you know, or Master Hickson, or you know, Master Hoyler, the the thing is, these guys, they're not your master. Like a lot of people get it um, misunderstood. Like my master. Um, they're not your master. They're masters in what they do. They're masters in the art. Like in the end, our ultimate goal is to perfect jujitsu in our way, the way that we're taught. And then we, we mingle that with what our beliefs are with our knowledge and, and the end game. It's to perfect it and pass it on. It's not to go get a thousand gold medals. It's not to, you know, when you're in your prime and when you, you have the time, go out there, compete, test your, tested because the alternative to that is going and getting in bar fights you know which which <laughs> won't end well and um and you know legally or fi financially i'm sure <laughs> um but that's the reality is you you're out there to perfect your jujitsu so for me it's like curving you know the next couple years of good competition solid you know competition and then I can already see it like one step ahead. You can't just say, oh, man, my shoulder, my body's giving up. I'm going to start. I think I'm going to start focusing on on um, teaching more like you have to plan your life. You know, one thing the spinal cord injury taught me is every moment in my life is planned, you know, because if I get all the way into my bed and I leave my phone on the counter, that's like a that's like an ordeal to go get my phone. So everything is planned out and and then having that meticulous mindset from the corporate world it's like everything is planned out so i know that in a couple of years from now i'm going to either stop competing even in para jiu-jitsu or or come down on my competition a lot because my focus is going to start transitioning into a different uh avenue that i'm right now like i i believe that you have to be prepared for for the things you want in life not just when they show up be unprepared and then the opportunity is lost 
No, that's, that's definitely well said. I think we get, you know, really involved in it. And it's, it's nice every now and then to take a step back and reevaluate. I mean, every every year I take a couple weeks off. So I'll do a week off here, two weeks off there, a week off there. And I'll do that maybe, you know, four times a year where I, I just need to kind of recharge and I need to reevaluate what I'm doing and give my body a break and my mind a break to say, okay, yeah. like I'm not thinking about jiu-jitsu. I'm just going to have a nice week, spend some time with the wife, you know, go see a movie, make some dinner, spend at home sometime at home with the kids and really not think about jiu-jitsu that's the last thing that i'm thinking about and then when you get back into it i feel like a hundred times better than i did you know two weeks prior you, you, when i was on the go match. up a notch yeah. you, you feel it's like going to compete in a competition you go up a notch in your jiu-jitsu game because your tunnel vision's gone like you have an open mind yeah definitely and do you uh what, what's your plan for competition i guess in the next little while do you plan on uh, competing a lot more in the next few months do you have anything lined up um, you know, it's actually the first chance I, I get like this year I, I've been around, uh, several competitions across the, co the country and world, but I, I, I didn't get the chance to train much for them. So I enjoyed them and we did, we did some good matches and some really good talented matches, but I never got the opportunity to have that long span in between, um, like I did before I went to London. Uh, so now, from now until April, I don't have any plans, just basically training because there is a USA, the USJJO <clears throat> is, uh, will be hosting their US uh, Open and Nationals at the Pentagon in DC in April, April 27th and 28th, if you're interested. Um, and competing out there. Um, also, we're having our on the twenty fifth. We're having a para jiu jitsu summit because since everyone's going to be in town for that competition, we're having a summit so we can all brainstorm and and also um, see each other's techniques. Um, the twenty fifth, it'll be kind of sharing techniques, a few speakers, tech, and some adaptive techniques. On the twenty ninth, we're having another the second part of that summit after the competition that way everyone gets the opportunity to actually train and and push it with each other rather than wasting their energy they could use for the competition um so that's going to be a great event it's the first one here um usa so that for sure i'm planning on uh because i'm from that area so the cost for me uh, my family's there and stuff so but if I can raise funds and everything, there's a few other competitions I'd like to do, but it doesn't look likely this year. It's it it's a pricey thing, eh? <laughs> Competing oh, yeah, and everything sure. and traveling and you know, getting a hotel yeah. and even competitions, I mean they're not cheap, right? You're spending like over a hundred bucks uh, US, right, to compete. Yeah. Yeah, they add up and uh, I mean I would just we're just lucky with uh to get the sponsorship that we get. Um I, I, I've been working with Fuji a lot. Uh, lately and they really been helping us out gracie essentials gracie amazon um and monkey tape monkey tape's been with me since since my first competition at worlds uh the i call it kids worlds the regular world and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and what's uh what's is that just uh, is that jujitsu tape the uh the monkey tape yeah yeah the, they uh they make a, a tape uh specialized for jujitsu it's waterproof it's really well like uh 
sometimes hard to get off your fingers, uh, but it'll it'll last through your whole training no matter how wet the geese get. But they're really good for me. Yeah, I like to work with people who who work with me. Work who because like I told you, for me, material things don't matter. It's about their friendship. Um, when I reached out to them, I really needed tape. I had a bad wrist and and um, my fingers because of new being new to the chair. My fingers were hard to hard to uh, train and roll in my chair, so my fingers would give out. But he said, "Don't worry about the details. I'll I'll show up." And I found him in the crowd. He threw me a bunch of rolls, and he said, "We'll figure it out next week. Just go focus on your match." And to me, those type of relationships are uh, where where they're actually trying to help you rather than just trying to make profit. You know, Fuji's the same way. They just donated six gear bags and six uniforms for for the USA Para Jiu Jitsu traveling team where we're uh, we're developing, um, and also the Gracie products is we're working with Gracie Essentials on the benefits of how the proper supplements and everything and proper diet works with a uh, spinal cord injury. And I kind of went full circle and got off the product to see if what would happen to my body. And, and there, there, there's a whole thing that, you know, I have it all written down that I'm going to be putting an article out in my magazine uh, explaining it because I learned a lot from about spinal cord injury the diet and the symptoms that come with it uh, just from this working with them in this past year. Uh, so it was definitely a few things. I, yeah, I like to thank those people because it was never about money from them or I never even had to post about their product. It was just like friends helping friends, you know? Yeah, that, that, that's really cool. Definitely. Maybe if you want to plug your Power Jiu-Jitsu magazine too, how many times a year does that come out? Um, it's a three... It's a three-issue magazine. Uh, basically, I like to... I'm a graphic designer. Uh, I've been doing graphic designs since 98 when I, I was using presses before that. <laughs> so, like, I, I was using a dark room. Let's put it that room. <laughs> um, but I've been in graphic design for so long. So, oddly, right before my accident, I fell... I mean, right before I fell, I was I had just went back to to school to kind of uh, get with the new times, like the digital uh, publishing and all that. So I was given the opportunity to upgrade my knowledge right before I fell, and I have all the knowledge to basically pump out the your best ma magazine out there. So I decided why not do it for myself. The only problem is, is I'm a horrible writer. English is bad. <laughs> and what the nat what nationality are you? Uh, I'm half Spanish, half half American Irish. Um, but when I was six months old, I we went to a Salvador, so Spanish was actually my first language. Um, and then I struggled with it my whole life. So I purposely put out the first magazine in its horrible state. <laughs> so I can look back at it uh, because it is bad. It's really <laughs> bad. I wrote, and I couldn't. Like, I'm not good at writing. Um, like I can write poetry and I can articulate my words, but 
when you're looking at a whole magazine worth, it was just too much. So I would have everyone else write everything, and then I would just post it. <laughs> <laughs> but even the graphic design was bad in the first one because the writing stuff took all my, my attention. So I got lucky off the first one to get have my friend Jen. Um, she is now the editor-in-chief, so she actually writes a lot of articles, proofs them, and, and changes words or shortens them. And then I can focus my 100% on the, or 80% on the, um, on the design. Uh, so three, three issues a year. The first one is para jiu-jitsu lifestyle. So it focuses on the lifestyle, uh, the benefits that para jiu-jitsu or the benefits that jiu-jitsu bring to people with limitations. Um, it's full of stories, techniques, ideas uh, on the people that are already benefiting from it. The second issue, which actually I'm going to flip. Um, so the first issue is the women's issue. Ladies first. Um, <laughs> but it's basically all the, it's about all the women in para jiu-jitsu. So the highlight is women's para jiu-jitsu, the benefits of it and such and such. And then who's already out there doing it. And this is around the world. We try to highlight everyone around the world, not just people in the States. And then the third issue, which is the next one coming out, which I'm shooting for February. I was looking at January, but it looks more like February, is the competition issue. And that highlights all the competitors, people looking for sponsorships, promotion. Um, not promotion. People looking for sponsorships and uh, and people who want to learn more about different organizations that are providing adaptive competition for that uh, jiu-jitsu practitioner nice and what what website can uh, people go check that out on so the uh magazine is pjj so like bjj but it's p para jiu-jitsu pjjmag.com um there's also a podcast that i'm starting that i'm collecting episodes right now so people have more than just a couple to look at coming soon also a store and there is a link to the para jiu-jitsu mag tv which i uh, like to upload competition footage with people with different limitations um i personally will put some uh, videos of of techniques that i think will benefit people techniques that i interviews with other people and techniques with um some of the big names on the mat so uh and that's from my journeys before and the journeys now. So it gives people a kind of an idea of what adaptive jujitsu could look like, what you're looking for, gives you ideas. It's a place where instructors can go to um, and, and practitioners can go to kind of get an idea for their new world rather than quitting jujitsu. Wow, that, yeah, that's really cool. I'm definitely, I'll definitely check you out too, because I'm in. Um, we go to Florida a few times a year. We have a condo in Hollandale, so uh, we usually go. I usually go to a Brazilian top team in uh, Bo- uh, Boca Raton with uh, Pref- okay. Professor Amaral. So uh, definitely, when I, next time I'm down, I'll definitely uh, check you out at your gym and uh, yeah, see what's going on and see uh, definitely if we can work on something together. I think uh, there's a lot of opportunity there. So anybody out there, you know, if you're if you want to sponsor somebody or if you want to help anybody out, you know, definitely. You can go check out the website. What's the website also? The the website's where if you're interested or you're an opportunity to donate or sponsor. Sponsors sponsorship and help doesn't have to only come in the form of of currency. Uh, I I went to London 
off of Sky Miles. I went to Sweden off of Sky Miles. Uh, like it really makes a difference. Actually, Rustin and I both went to Sweden off of Sky Miles. Wow! So it really makes a big difference uh, when people donate Sky Miles. Um, and a lot of us don't. We don't even use them, especially for work. Uh, so it, it it could also be a place to stay. Maybe you have an Airbnb and like we're all going to D.C. So we could use a place in D.C. to offset the costs. So things like that. It's not just funding or products that we we could use. It's um, it's a you know Sky Miles or a place to stay. So the website for that is ijjwlf.com. So it's International Jiu-Jitsu Without Limitations Federation.com. But the uh, just the letters. Awesome. Perfect. That's great. Well, Max, uh, thanks very much for being on the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, like I said, you guys can go check him out on Facebook too. Uh, you have all the social media. Go check out the magazine, the website. And uh, Max, you're welcome back on the podcast anytime. I appreciate it, man. And don't don't forget to let me know when you're headed to Florida. I have a bunch of lapel stuff I can show you. Oh, oh I'm coming. <laughs> all right, man. man. Thanks a lot. Stay warm up there. You've been listening to Let's Talk Jiu-Jitsu with Raymond Terrence. Go follow us on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube page. Turn on notifications and press that like button. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the mats.